Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com prenatal. This is an audio version of the 24th Annual Dice Awards Roundtable Series. To watch the video of this episode, please visit youtube.com slash official AIAS. Brought to you by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. This is the award celebration by game makers for game makers, honoring the games that connect players around the globe. No matter where we come from or what our interests, video games bring us together. We gather here to honor our fellow creators and the very best of interactive entertainment. Welcome to the 24th Annual Dice Awards. Welcome to the 24th Annual Dice Awards conversation on Adventure Game of the Year. Everyone nominated for Adventure Game of the Year has created amazing, amazing games. So let's get into some introductions of all these wonderful folks. Uh, from Assassin's Creed Valhalla, we have Julian Laferriere. How are you doing, yes. Julian? Yeah, super happy to be here. It's a privilege to be among uh, colleagues with such uh, amazing games. So thank you for having me here today. Excited really cool. to see you. Excited to have you back and, and get a chance to see you again. Uh, give the folks at home a little bit of information about the work that you've been doing. Yes, for sure. So uh, close to 14 years at uh, Ubisoft Montreal. Uh, Valhalla is my fifth uh, Assassin's Creed game. I was fortunate enough to lead the production across uh, 16 studios around the world. Uh, to really deliver uh, this amazing Viking adventure to players worldwide. So uh, really happy to be here today. Awesome. And so glad to have you here. Uh, coming in from Ghost of Tsushima, we have Jason Connell. How are you doing, Jason? Hey, how's it going? Good. Good to see you. Uh, excited to have you rocking with us here today. Give the folks at home a little bit of info about the work you've been up to. Yeah, you know, I've been at uh, Sucker Punch for um, just over uh, 10 years, and it's uh, my first project as a uh, creative director, and also um, I was our director on the project as well. Uh, and yeah, super fortunate to, to, to work on this game on so many different aspects, and uh, super cool to be able to, you know, travel to Japan and uh, do some research trips and develop a bunch of new colleagues over in Japan that helped us make the game. Just a wonderful journey. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Happy to have you here as well. Uh, coming in from Kentucky Route Zero TV edition, we have Jake Elliott. How you doing, Jake? Hey, not bad. Good, good to see you. Uh, give the folks at home a little bit of info about, about your work you've done. Um, yeah, I, work, I worked on Kentucky Route Zero as a, a three-person team. Um, we built that game starting in 2010 and just finished <laughs> it up last year. Um, and I was the writer on the game and, and also shared some programming and design with the rest of the team. We kind of all, all pitched in on those, those aspects of it. So, um, yeah, happy to be here. It's, it's really cool to, uh, to hang out with some of the people working in the industry. I'm a little bit, um, I live in kind of a remote place. I'm not really like, a, you know, get out to, to see folks often. So it's great to, it's great to meet you all. Well, excited that we could all get together for this. I'm, I'm, I'm loving the fact that we're all able to hang out together and have these conversations. Um, coming in from The Last of Us 2, we have Kurt Marganu and Anthony Newman. How are you both doing? Yeah, doing great. Uh, who's starting? You starting? I'm going to give start. it to Kurt first. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm Kurt. Um, co-director, co-game director on Last of Us 2. 
I've been a Night Dog for just over 12 years. Um, started on Uncharted 2, worked on every game as a designer, uh, lead designer, and then director for Lost Legacy. Uh, just been a wild ride. Work on these two very different franchises. Fantastic. Anthony? Uh, yeah, I joined Naughty Dog uh, just a little bit after Kurt. Uh, so I've been there a little over 11 years, I think. And um, Kurt and I kind of came up together. We're like old school game design bros at, at Naughty Dog. And uh, it was really awesome to uh, co-game direct Last of Us Part Two with him. And, and our director, Neil, was a really fun and amazing challenge to, to be part of that project. And yeah, I just want to echo what everyone else is saying. It's so cool to be here with such a diverse group of, uh, you know, kind of our, our peers throughout the industry. It's really cool also, you know, different size teams uh, from like, you know, 16 studios around the world to literally three people. It's uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's cool to be part of this group. Glad to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, and to round out our crew, we have from Ori and Will of the Wisps, we have Thomas Mahler and Gennady Coral. How are you both doing today? Doing great. Good, good, good. Thomas, give us a little bit of info about the work you've done in this space. Um, well, I started as a traditional stealth duck. I then worked at Blizzard Entertainment uh, for a while, and now I've uh, been working as a creative director at Moon Studios for about 10 years. And yeah the creative direction on both Oring the Blind Force and Oring the Wolf Lewis. Awesome. And Gennady, share some, some of your work as well. Hey, everyone. Yeah, we're, we're the two co-founders of Moon. Uh, Thomas and I started Moon in 2010, I think like early 2010. So maybe actually 11 years almost now. I'm not super good at math at these hours, but <laughs> yeah, it's been, a, it's been a long ride and I've been doing a lot of production, uh, the whole technical direction, a lot of graphics and visual effects. Brilliant, brilliant. I'm, I'm really excited to have you all here because uh, like you said, you know, there's lots of different versions of how to get a game done and, and all the different teams here represented have done that in, in brilliant and beautiful ways. Um, you know, kind of digging into the conversation around the value of the teams that are represented here, you know, when you think about, you know, building out a, a team for games like the ones that you've built and, and, and within the studios that, you're, that you are a part of, you know, what's the biggest value that you've kind of found um, in, in pulling in the specialists that you have to, to create the, the games that you've made? You know, what, what are some of the things you're thinking about when you're like, oh, we need this particular part of the special sauce to make this team go and, and build that out into uh, the games that we were able to make? Uh, I'm going to go to you, Thomas, first. I'm going to ask you that of you and uh, you and Kennedy in a second. Uh, for us, talent is the biggest thing. Like we started Moon as a remote studio. Uh, way before this whole COVID thing and so on uh, came about. So we've been doing this for about 10 years. And the whole premise behind all of this was always, well, we're doing it because we want to hire the best people all around the world. Um, and it's fun to see everybody now joining <laughs> on the action. Uh, but it's it's super important. Like really, I mean, what is a company? It's just a, a group of really talented people. So for us, it's always just find those special people that really want to change the status quo. And luckily enough, you know, like, hey, we, we got some really amazing talent at the studio that that love working on these projects that, we, that, we're, that we're making. Awesome. And did you have anything to, to share to that? Yeah, there's, there's a lot we can talk about. I guess one of the, you know, you're talking about secret sauce. I think one of the things that we do that we really think helps that kind of you know, finding that magic in the game is that what we call Moon Studios 
feedback or moon process or moon feedback, whatever, whatever you call it, is this idea that everybody in the team has a voice. And it sounds a little bit cliche or maybe unrealistic, right? Because we don't do design by committee or, or anything like that. But it is very important for us to have that brain trust with the talent that we hire, that we don't just hire people to sit in their bunker or sit in their bat cave and you know write those lines of code or paint that thing or that other thing. But we also trust them to be great gamers with great t- taste. And we want to hear from them. We want to know what is right with the game, what is wrong with the game. And we constantly have this sort of back and forth process and getting this feedback from the team. And I think it is a huge part of the secret sauce of what allows us to actually uh, achieve the things that we achieve as, as, as a company. Jason, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that too. You kind of touched on it a little bit, you know, talking about, you know, some of the, the trips out to Japan to kind of build out those studio, build out those parts of the, the conversation for, you know, getting that very, very, you know, fundamental vibe for the game that you've, that you've built, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that in, in terms of how that kind of works at Sucker Punch too. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a lot of similarity between all of us and the way that we shape our teams as big or as small as they are and the types of employees that we want. There's probably a lot of overlap. Um, one thing that was incredibly just mind-blowingly different, at least uh, for um, this project for us, was um, you know the idea of what team is sort of had to be expanded quite a bit. You know, you, Before it was like, oh, amazing artists or amazing character artists or good concept team or amazing writers or whatever, and generally good people you want on your team. Uh, and then we were like, well, I don't think we're going to be able to make feudal Japan without people guiding us <laughs> uh, what feudal Japan looks and feels like. And then it kind of exploded. So all of these new team members sort of uh, joined our team, whether it's, you know, people who um, have been training as an actual, you know, from old, you know, 1300s, uh, you know, samurai way to hold the sword to, uh, you know, script review to someone being on our mocap stage with us just for general, you know, mannerisms and helping coach people. Pretty, pretty wild, uh, the amount of people that helped us uh, just shape uh, our decisions and help guide us. And I don't think we could have made the game at all without those folks. And those are all like now great friends and, and teammates. So they're part of the Sucker Punch crew. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always awesome to hear, you know, how these, these teams kind of come together and, and how they kind of move towards that one you know, convergence point. Um, Julian, I'm really curious to hear about that from your perspective too, because the studios from, from Ubi have, and Ubi have always kind of worked in these bigger, larger teams across yeah. multiple disciplines and multiple places. I'm curious to hear how that works for, for all of you as well. Yeah, well, for sure. For, for me, the, the way I kind of, I put it is that making a video game is first and foremost a human adventure, right? Where we're building technology and art and so on. But all of this is made by human beings uh, who have emotions and all of that. And for us, it's important to kind of tap into that and make sure that we are, you know, even though we were over a thousand employees working on, on this game, um, we had to feel like one cohesive family. Um, and the way we, we managed to do that is that we, we trust each other. We give a lot of autonomy to people on the team, a lot of ownership. Um, and because we want to have the, the, the passion of everyone to this in this game that we're crafting. And for us, it was it was really important. So we've put a lot of effort in, you know, making sure that the communication was 
as good as we wanted, um, you know, to, to have a lot of FaceTime, either we were, even if we were spread across multiple studios uh, whenever we could. Obviously, COVID kind of changed the game a little bit on that, but uh, uh, we, we, it was uh, the heart, the foundation was that we, we needed to feel connected. And uh, that was really at the heart of the way we, we shaped the, the team. And it echoes with a lot of things I've, I've hear from, heard from people here today because it's uh, first and foremost a human adventure, right? It's a bunch of people gathering together to make this awesome game that hopefully will be enjoyed by a lot of players in the world. So, Yeah, it's, it's always curious to, to, to see how you kind of get everyone on the same page in that way. You know, how, how do you how do you kind of give everybody a voice when you have so many teams kind of working together in that way? I'm curious. About well, that. yeah, we um, we were fortunate enough to have, um, you know, a franchise that's been building over many, many games. And we have studio partners who have been uh, along in this, uh, this adventure with us for, for a long time. So we are able to build this sort of, um, you know, roadmap discussions together of what you would like to do, to do on the next game and so on and build mandates that really tap into the expertise of the different studios. So for example, in Singapore, uh, they're the one who actually brought Naval to the franchise. So obviously, you know, we, we wanted to work with Singapore to work on the longboats and the rivers of England and so on, because they have this expertise and they're, they're really proud to bring that to the table. And, and every studio is like that. They've kind of carved their own specialty um, and they, they like just to, to bring it to the table. So now it's more a matter of, of playing your best cards, you know, almost in a certain way and make sure that, that the, the symphony is created with, with all those, those studios working together because basically they're able to contribute with their 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 passion and their their to their best of their capabilities putting their strengths forward and this is really what we're building you know play on their strengths um on our respective strengths and then i think it just makes this this very harmonious game in the end if we're we're able to make it kurt and anthony is that kind of similar to the way you're all kind of doing things over at naughty dog as well you're having you know when it comes to giving you know folks a voice to be able to you know be a part of the conversation during a development cycle, you know, with having a larger team, how do you all kind of work or work, work towards that uh, at Naughty Dog as well? Well, yeah, it's crazy. Like uh, all the things that everyone has said, I feel like it, that's what I was going to say too. Uh, <laughs> when I think of Naughty Dog, I, even still, it's been a year since we've been at home, but I still think of it as this physical place with the office, with our, you know desks everywhere and everyone is kind of open to walk around everyone's always it's a very busy office and people are constantly sitting at each other's desks and going around and talking and uh in a way we got very lucky when our game shipped it was when everyone went home that was right as we were gold mastering and we were pretty much done it was just like fixing major bugs and stuff so uh the collaboration process and this very open communication style that we have and you know we we have everyone has it's a big office we're all on the same floor so you don't have to go up and down um you know we have phone telephones we can call each other at our desk we always prioritize talking to someone in person and then the next is like talking to someone on the phone uh and then you know some immediate chat thing and then email like email is the worst way to communicate so we have this kind of hierarchy <laughs> in our culture of like how to communicate with each other and it generally fosters yeah people giving input on things and people giving us feedback uh, as directors and uh, you know you can just stop by someone's desk and see what they're playing and like sit down with them and talk to them about it a little bit uh, that's the stuff I missed now that we've been in quarantine and uh, it's been an adjustment for us for sure to 
have to do all that now with like video stuff. Um, and yeah, it's been a challenge for sure. Yeah, uh, sure. I think uh, it's not just so there's the directness, which I think we really value a lot. But I think there is something core to our culture that we want to make sure that anyone can feel comfortable giving feedback uh, to anyone else, like rank kind of just doesn't matter. So, you know, we've had people who have been at the studio for just a month, uh, you know, uh, go to Neil with feedback about the story um, and he'll hear him out and he'll like try to explain why decisions are made the way they are and try to consider like, you know, what they're, what they're bringing up and stuff. And that goes for me, Kurt, for, for everyone in the whole studio. Um, and I think that's a, a really great part of our culture uh, and it sounds like something that you know isn't uh, super unique to us um, but i think it is really important to make sure that people feel like they are all pushing towards a similar goal and that their concerns are being heard um and whenever possible we really try to like we're not telling people like okay this is what the game is going to be we're always trying to like we're always pitching we're always like trying to sell them and like bring them along and make them want to you know kind of coalesce around this same idea as well. Um, and we, I think we look for people who um, not just are great at what they do, but those people themselves are always trying to take their own craft to the next, next level. Like they're not, they're not trying to just like, you know, meet expectations of what they're being told to do, um, but kind of surpass them and come up with things that they weren't even asked to do um, and, and kind of contribute to, to that, that same culture of, of evolution and innovation. Totally, totally. And, and, and thank you all for, for sharing those bits. I want to I talk directly more about kind of the, the games uh, themselves. And I, I want to I jump in with Jake. I, I think, you know, Kentucky, Kentucky Route Zero is, is, is a really interesting uh, piece, piece of work and piece of art. Um, you know, you have these kind of complete five acts of kind of non-traditional and unique game series. And then you have like little to no inventory puzzles to solve in that same way that you kind of think of. And, you know, it's this really simple experience, but it has this really beautiful unfolding story. I'm kind of curious about, you know, what was the, what was this kind of secret sauce to kind of making all of that work so well? Oh, well, thanks. That's a generous appraisal that it all worked well, but I just, I think of it as this kind of sprawling, messy <laughs> pit that we all, three of us, uh, me and, and Tomas Kaminsky and Ben Babbitt, just like dumped everything we were interested in over the course <laughs> of this development process. So, but, uh, but I think what, you know, what, what makes it kind of cohere to the extent that it does is that, is that it's all, it's all kind of flowing um, uh, without the player having to kind of put the gas on. Uh, it's, it's like, I think of it as kind of like a, you know, we used to talk about like lean back and lean forward experiences with different media, you know, I think of this one as kind of the lean back uh, experience. Like there's a section of the game where you're piloting a boat or you know, you're, you're not piloting a boat, you're a passenger on a boat, I should say. And, and, and you can't, uh, you, you don't choose where the boat goes. You, you only kind of choose what to pay attention to and what to what to kind of move on quickly from and, and that sense of just like being being a passenger a sort of active passenger uh you know runs throughout the game that was really important to us an active passenger somebody who's like sitting in the passenger seat while somebody else is driving and like talking to them to keep them awake or something like that. that's kind of how i think of the player in, in our game um, you know they're they're sort of um uh, so if there's something that they don't connect with or there's something they don't understand or or don't care for whatever is boring to them which there's plenty of stuff in this game that that's would qualify as boring for most people uh for any of that stuff it's it's gonna it's gonna float away pretty quickly you know you're gonna kind of like pass pass through it pretty quickly and, and you're not gonna be stuck you know or, or sort of uh there's there's no gates really uh to the story and and i think that's what helps it flow just that constant sort of forward motion um, and, and it's written it's written to be constantly moving forward in that way, not give you a chance to go back and make corrections. 
Yeah. And, and having that kind of, you know, permanence of, of what decisions that were made definitely, definitely felt like it was, you know, a, a really fantastic choice in the way you kind of did that. Um, Jason, I'm curious about, you know, when we talk about ghosts and, you know, there are so many kind of small stories within the larger context of, of what that game is uh, and, and really, really great characters that you kind of roll through the story to kind of find and see. And, and so many really nice quiet moments as well to kind of explore the, the, the landscape and, and explore the, the setting in that space. You know, how is it kind of building out an entire world full of, you know, you know, so many wonderful things to find in kind of every little small, small corner? Well, yeah. Thanks for saying that. It's uh, now the the side stories uh, of you know creating creating side stories in this game. You know, or if you look at our last game, it was it was an open world kind of sandbox, infamous you know game. But it wasn't really mm-hmm. like sprawling world with tons of side stories that you interact with. It's just a different type of game. We knew that that was going to be a huge challenge for us. So even very very early, we were like, you know, this this game needs to be uh, an anthology of side stories. You know, branches off of this main trunk that is the story. And in fact, at some at some level, you know, we, we almost have to prioritize the side stories more because mm-hmm. we just know that, you know, we're underinvested there. We've not created that kind of storytelling before. Um, you know, uh, we certainly had tonal rules around the side stories. They need to reflect, you know, about the world a little bit. Uh, they need to tie back into the main hero's journey in some way. But that was a super uh, uh, early, early goal. And, um, and then the adventure, or sorry, excuse me, the exploration side of it, that, that was probably one of the hardest parts because um, you, know, you have a game that, that's this big, uh, you know, it's, I don't even know how, how large land, land mass wise, but, um, but it is it's pretty massive. And, you know, I see people putting 80 hours or 100 hours in, and that's certainly not a game that we've ever created before. And I, I had not had that experience it's pretty hard to test exploration. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things you have to like, let people, you have to be okay with the fact that people are going to get lost a little bit and, and that they're going to be, you know, you, how do you, how do you successfully say, Oh yeah, this was a successful exploration test. It's actually really ta- challenging, or at least mm-hmm. we found because um, the story tests or like a gameplay challenge tests, you know, th- th- that's super great. Um, super easy to find out what works and what doesn't work, but exploration is kind of like a dream and you have to sort of protect it. <laughs> Um, mm. as people, uh, you know, give you feedback about what's working and what's not working. Cause more often than not, I found that, uh, we were hearing feedback that something wasn't working and you don't want to course correct too much. So felt like, um, felt like our journey into exploration and, and certainly those side stories played a huge part in sort of, uh, maintaining that feeling, knowing that there was something around the corner, there was something interesting for you, but, and the quiet moments was absolutely part of, uh, sort of the dream too, just really creating a game that. Um, embrace the idea that you could just sort of enjoy the art and enjoy the beauty of it, as well as go chop some people up if you'd like to do that too. <laughs> yeah, uh, so much. So much. A question. Yeah, please. I would love to know how did you guys change your user research sessions um, going from a smaller contained game to oh my god, people play this for eighty hours. Obviously, you can't watch someone eighty hours playing through the entire game, right? So how 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 did that change? Uh, yeah, you know, two, I think two ways that it changed profoundly from our previous games, which is one, we just tested a, a whole lot more. Um, we, I don't even remember how much we tested in uh, Infamous Second Son, but it was not as often. And this one, we used our, you know, Sony Experience Lab that we have, the t- playtest lab there. We, we got to the point where we were testing, you know, every six weeks. And then we also did internal tests every three to three to six weeks, but you can't play the whole game. So the first part is just test more frequently. The second part was... Um, trying to have really concrete goals from each one of those tests. Like sometimes it's a story test. Sometimes it was more of a kind of a challenge and progression test. Um, I don't, you know, really 
I don't think we've cracked the nut of like, how do you get an 80 hour test? Cause people get fatigued. <laughs> they just want to blast through it. Like, how do you just get like a natural session in a test? And so right. luckily we had lots of, you know, colleagues at Sony or whatever that would put in like some serious time for like the second or third time playing our game. You know, somebody plays it 80 hours, three times. That's they, they deserve, deserve a medal. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's a lot of time, you know? And so that's the people, those people are the ones you get the true, you know, full picture value from, but it was, it was, it was pretty tough. I don't think we've cracked that second part uh, as much as we'd like to have. Maybe Julian did has you let people take the game examples. Home, did you let people take the game home as well, or do any sort of telemetry testing while, while they were still testing? We did, uh, we, we certainly, certainly let some people take the game home, especially if they were Sony employees or whatever, that was, that was totally fine. And we do have like a ton of data miner, um, you know, uh, I mean, uh, huge amount of work information that we can tag from people and find out where they were at hour one, where they were at hour eight, where they were at hour 15. Uh, what was the progression? What mission did they do first? What choice did they make? What, what have they put their points into? We have, that's probably the most internally helpful tool that we have that, Actually, Brian Brian Fleming, the founder, is actually the one behind it. He codes it up and makes it, manages it. But that certainly helps us make informed decisions about what we want to do to change. Um, that's been really helpful. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I love hearing how that all kind of the, the sauce gets made in that way, uh, the soup gets made in that way. Um, Kurt and Anthony, I'm, I'm really curious as well. You know, you had a, a pretty interesting change of, of, of direction in terms of narrative uh with with ellie and abby having these dueling perspectives in the play in the space how did you kind of balance out you know having these two characters having these very very two different different experiences uh and balancing that out with the kind of exploratory parts of the adventure as well i guess i don't know how much it like directly tied in with like the exploration aspect of the game i mean when, when we started off we knew we wanted to really push you know we had to have this catchphrase like you know we're, we're telling a linear story that's kind of like really important to the identity of, of the game and or, or at least what we were trying to uh, tell uh with this story um and but we we knew we wanted to push that as much as possible so we have this like term wide linear so it's always you're always going to go to this particular destination, but we give you as much, much width as, as possible. Mm. Um, and we were really pushing ourselves there. So like, you know, in years past at Naughty Dog, the idea of uh, a setup or a scripted moment that you could just totally miss uh, because we put so much effort into polishing them was just like, what are you talking about? We can't do that. Um, but, you know, this time we were really pushing ourselves to do so. I think, you know, the thing that kind of excited me the most about, you know, this dual protagonist, you know, kind of shtick that the, that the game had um, was that like kind of as a someone who loves mechanics and, and uh, the, the idea of having these two characters like really early on, I started thinking about them as like um, almost like Dungeons and Dragons uh, character mm. classes. Uh, so, you know, with Ellie being like a rogue and, and Abby being like a warrior or fighter or something. Um, and just the opportunity to have these kind of like these dark mirror characters of like different sets of crafting items, different sets of upgrades, different sets of weapons. Um, I think that was the thing that was, uh, you know, in terms of the, the conceit of the story, that was the thing that I, I found the most exciting personally. Not sure, what, uh, Kurt, what, what do you think about the Ellie Abbey split? Yeah, I think the most important thing for us was like from the very beginning, knowing that this is a dual protagonist story. This wasn't a, you know, in our marketing and things, we talk about it as Ellie's story, but 
the real hook and the real like secret of this game is that it is a dual like equal weight to both characters and we had to design for that equally we like yes ellie is going to be awesome in all these ways and she's different from joel in all these very specific ways but then this as anthony said yeah what is abby's feeling we didn't the worst thing we wanted especially with the narrative context of abby when you start playing as her was gameplay wise she can't also be hated the way that people are going to hate her narratively at the beginning so mm. we needed to really like invest and make sure that she felt fun and exciting to play and in this different way where you felt like it's a different character but also this is just as satisfying as playing as ellie that i just have played for the past 15 hours uh so that was always like top of mind that we're always worried about how are people feeling about abby that was kind of the whole drive of all of our feedback and all of the things throughout the process talking about play testing and you know getting feedback like the narrative feedback was always like okay what how do people feel about abby do they mm -hmm. did we succeed in like convincing people by the end uh that she is her own character and not just uh someone that people hate the hand-to-hand yeah, -hand fighting animations of abby like because she was like a bare-fisted brawler and stuff yeah. i think that that really quickly went a long way to make people feel like, oh, she's awesome to play. Um, there was like this misperception with all the focus testers that she did more damage with melee just because she just looked so <laughs> awesome and she had these huge muscles. People just thought that she uh, was faster at it and stuff. So um, yeah, but I think that that was one of the things that kind of went a long way to make her appealing on the on the gameplay. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Cause that's that I, I can see why people had that initial kind of feel towards towards Abby in that way. And and, and it definitely connected in the way that you kind of brought those those two stories together. Um Thomas and Kennedy, I, I would love to know, you know, when you think about Ori and Will O' Wisps, you know, what was that kind of very special, you know, set of things that kind of pulled the story and adventure together for 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 the game you made? Um, well, it was a sequel to Orient the Blind Forest. So initially, we immediately knew, okay, uh, we want to do the difficult thing where the story actually continues right at the moment where the first game ended. Um, and that was really difficult. Like, how do you just continue from that spot? And then how do you again, in a lot of ways, when you make a sequel, I'm sure at Naughty, it's a similar thing. Um, it's a it's really difficult because you you don't want to repeat the same stuff that you already did mm. um and yet a lot of times you will feel like hey we did this for a reason uh because it works really well um but you have to find all new ways it's like you know if you're a painter you can't make the same painting twice right. it's boring and it was a similar thing here like we just wanted to really tell a different sort of story it was also I always perceived it as like, hey, Ori and the Black Forest is a coming of age story, where it's like the first half of Ori's life. And then Will of the Wisps, we kind of saw it as like, okay, Ori is more grown up now, and it's more about the second half of his life. Uh, and that kind of like set a really nice direction that he's more mature now. And um, yeah. Kennedy, anything to share on that? So the secret sauce of, of the adventure and the story um, I mean, it is it is a cliche thing to say, but I think you kind of want to do something where the game feels greater than the sum of its parts. Right. So while in isolation, all of the components are there, it is really about integrating everything in a super perfect way where everything feels just right. So the story pacing 
is exactly right. The difficulty is exactly right. The amount of, you know, these spectacle sequences that are super impressive, they come at exactly the right cadence um, that, you know, people don't feel like they want to throw the controller at the, at the wall too many times <laughs> in terms of, you know, uh, all of these uh, escape sequences that I think from the first game, we kind of, uh, we've seen that some people liked it more and some people liked it less. So we were trying to give it to those that liked it, but kind of make it maybe a little bit more accessible while not sacrificing the difficulty. And that is... Um, or the, the feeling of challenge, right? Or the feeling of overcoming the challenge by the time you're done with that sequence. And that was a really difficult thing for us from the first game to really kind of understand why people perceive difficulty in a certain way. You know, why do you feel like the game, uh, you know, is too difficult? You know, it's because it's not that, you know, direct thing where you can just say, oh yeah, well, this challenge is difficult. It's like, it's about the perception, right? And a lot of the times it's just small adjustments that you can make on, uh, on different uh, levels that give people a completely different feeling. So for me, it's always been about this uh, polish of of putting all of these elements together in a just a really kind of delicious, you know, presentation package where everything just feels right and not one element feels like it's dragging the experience down, right? Because there's a lot of games where you play them and you go like, well, this is awesome, but this one thing that kind of like takes me out of the experience. It's just like, this is where my suspense of disbelief breaks. Um, and if you get all of these elements right, then then it kind of becomes greater than than the sum. And I think that's the, that's when it's like when you play the game and you know the music comes in, the audio comes in, and it all comes together. Um, that's that's the most fun part of the process for me is when when the game really comes together and you can see like yeah, this is this is good. Like this this is something people will really really enjoy. So well, I don't think there is like one particular secret sauce. It's just combination of of different ingredients that make a great meal. Yeah, and and yeah, you've all nailed that. I think that all comes through very, very strongly in, in the game that you've made for sure. Uh, Julian, uh, before we before we close out of, of of our conversation today, I wanna I wanna dig into a little bit of, you know, in the Assassin's Creed universe, it's kind of known for its big stories and big fights and and the kind of epic moments in that way. You know, how have you kind of expanded the Assassin's Creed gameplay this time in Valhalla? Uh, well, on Valhalla, it was all about making you feel like a, a Viking. You know, the moment you launched a game to the very end, we really wanted to craft this, this Viking experience. And Vikings were raiders, warriors, settlers, and explorers. And we kind of wanted to have you live all those facets of what it means to be a Viking. You know, when it, whenever you get on your longboat with your your Viking friends and you raid, uh, or you just go back to your, your village, the settlement uh, that you've seen grow and you feel like a clan leader. Um, we tried to kind of deliver on all the facets of what it meant to be a Vikings, obviously tackling very similar challenges uh, on the, the exploration front as a ghost of Tsushima, for example, um, because we really wanted to, to make you feel like you're, you're this, this, this uh, Viking in a hostile land that you get to see for the first time and explore and plunder for its riches. So um, all the gameplay decisions we made on that game was was aiming towards that, you know, from the from the raise to the fight to, to all the other elements we've we've put in it. Um, we really wanted this 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 Viking experience, this Viking feeling. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. One of those things of when you when you talk about the process of of building out and kind of you know expanding the universe in that way and adding new flavors to it, it feels like Bahala has done a, a really good job of of connecting those things together in that way. Thank you so much. Um, now is now is one of my favorite parts of the conversation where I get to give away an award, which is extremely exciting. Um, so 
we have for our dice adventure game of the year our winner is ghosts of tsushima congratulations congrats awesome 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 dang thank you that's amazing awesome awesome awesome. do you have any any quick words to share uh for the folks at home it's obviously there's so many great games out there and uh we're just all lucky to be in the same industry making such cool stuff together especially in this category there's some there's some some stiff competition some amazing amazing games so uh, just thank you so much. Uh, you know, our team is incredibly uh, proud of the game and also super thankful for everyone that's helped help make it. And so it's been a crazy, awesome journey for us. And we're just super, super thankful. Fantastic. You know, again, you've all put out such beautiful work into the space. You know, Julian, Jason, uh, Jake, Kurt, Anthony, Thomas, and Gennady, thank you again for, for your time today and for, for being a part of this. You know, it has been Extremely hard to get everybody together and make this stuff happen, but we were excited that we had you all here today. So thank you again for for, for coming through. And and again, uh, much congratulations to you, Jason, and the rest of the team. The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to share that the 2022 Dice Summit and Dice Awards will be returning in person to the gorgeous Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino and Delano Hotel in Las Vegas on February 22nd to 24th, 2022. We'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Dice Awards and bringing together industry leaders to share their ideas about the many facets of the interactive entertainment industry. Stay tuned to www.interactive.org and our Twitter, at official underscore AIAS for more details coming soon, including special anniversary rates. We can't wait to see you again. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.